The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Welcome to the Inn. Glad you could be here. Uh, my name is Mike McAvoy, for those that don't know. Uh, I am on staff here. Uh, some of you may know me because I'm on staff. Some of you may know me uh, for some other reasons. Uh, some of you may know me as the fearless reviewer. Uh, and today is a big day for me and Mike's Av Review. Uh, for those that don't know what that is, that's the blog that uh, Tom Noble, our worship leader, myself, uh, put together uh, to eat at every restaurant on the Av this year. And today our final blog posting went up, number 77. All 77 Av restaurants got accomplished uh, and we, we posted the last one today. So it was a pretty big day. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, feel free to personally thank Tom over there at any time uh, for all his hard work this year. Uh, it really paid off. I feel good about our accomplishments this year. Um, that's Tom over there. Uh, okay. Uh, moving along. That's, that's the important business is covered for the night. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, I'm from Bellingham, Washington. Grew up about an hour north of here. I went to Seaholm High School up there and grew up in a family that uh, really felt a lot of love for my parents, grew up going to church, and really tried to be a pretty good kid, really tried to act pretty good. And don't really know why, I messed up a lot, but um, I really thought that if I could be as good as possible, um, you know, I could be a good Christian kid. And I could go to church and, you know, God would accept me and he would love me. And, and I tried to do that a lot, and then I got into college. And when I came to college, I came here to the U in 2001, and I joined uh, the Fiji fraternity here. And college was really kind of a whirlwind for me. It was, all of a sudden, I was in this fraternity, and I was kind of caught off guard. All of a sudden, there was a lot of access to partying and then drinking and doing a lot of things. All of a sudden, I'm going to trip on some of this stuff. And uh, all of a sudden, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going out and partying and being like destructive and, and messing around with girls and doing a lot of things that I didn't really intend to be doing. But I found out that I was doing this like multiple, multiple times per week. I mean, there was Wednesday night and things would get crazy and all kinds of, you know, hedonism Wednesday night. And then Thursday would come and we all know how Thursday on the Ave gets. And uh, there's Earl's, which of course is like Satan's home down there. And then uh, uh, we didn't have Fornos down back in the day, but uh, we had another rest or another place on the Ave called Tommy's. Does anyone remember Tommy's? That might have been a long time ago. Okay. Uh, Tommy's made Fornos look like an old folks retirement home. Uh, that place got a little bit crazy. And then, and then Friday and Saturday would come and all of a sudden I would wake up Sunday morning and realize, oh my gosh, I want to go to church. I want to try to connect with God today. Um, I probably should do that, but I feel like I've just spent like this four day binge kind of party and, and I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I go to church today, if God will really want me there. You know, if he'll accept me, if he'll even listen to my prayers today. Uh, and that's actually one of the reasons I started coming to the end when I was in college, because the end was on Tuesday nights. And nothing really happened Monday or Sunday night. And so by the time Tuesday would come around, I'm like, okay, it's been like three days. I've been pretty good for three days. I feel like I could go out to the end tonight, and God will want to listen to my prayers, and he'll, he'll accept me, he'll respect me more. And in a lot of my life, I have viewed this whole relationship with God through the lens of the law. 
that in order for God to, to take me seriously, for me to, for me to go to heaven, for, you know, um, God really to, to respect me, that I really needed to act as good as I could. I think sometimes we get the assumption that there's this good God up there and that we are trying to be as good as we can be uh, and that the better we are, the more he's going to like us. And, and even sometimes thinking that that's going to get us into heaven. And even if we don't believe that being good gets us into heaven, which it's not, it's, it's about faith and believing in Jesus Christ. Um, and even if we, if we believe that's true, we still, something in us tells us that if we're better, if we act better, God's going to take us more seriously. Okay, and tonight, as we start our summer in series, we're going to be going through the book of Exodus uh, in the Old Testament, the second book in the Bible. And my hope is, is that as we look through this book, that we see a God who doesn't give his people laws in order to be in a relationship with them. But that God gives his people these laws just as confirmation of a relationship that's already there. Because with God, the relationship always precedes the rules he gives. And if you're here tonight and you're thinking, hey, I'm really excited uh, about, about looking into this idea of connecting with God. But, but I really need to clean up my act. If I spend a, a couple weeks just cleaning up my act, getting things together, then I can come and I can connect with God a whole lot better. I can start this relationship with him. Uh, if that's what you're thinking, i got good news. And as we look through the book of Exodus, you're going to see some good news. And that's that God does not need you to clean up your act before you can come to him. But that he wants to be there right in the midst of what we're going through. We can come to him at, at any point before just, just getting everything straight in our lives. And that's the idea I kind of want to look at tonight. And as we start to look at that, um, let me pray and open us up here tonight. Um, God, we thank you so much just for the opportunity to, to see you. God, to, to know you. God, to be in relationship with you. I pray tonight that um, you just help us see a, a bigger picture of who you are, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, does anyone know what sporkle is? Okay. About two months ago, Becky Riggers introduced me to sporkle. And it was one of the worst things that ever happened to me. Uh, I have got no work done in two months. All I do is take every sports quiz there is. Uh, Nolan often takes them and then talks me into taking them. And so all I do is take these quizzes online. And what Sporkle is, for those that don't know, it's this website you go to and you take these quizzes about anything. They have them, you know, about whatever you could think of and they time you and you plug them in and it puts the answers up. And I love the geography ones, name all the countries in Africa, things like that. And I found out that quizzes are actually a whole lot of fun when your whole degree and the chance of you graduating doesn't hinge on how you do on the quiz. And tonight, I actually want to do a sporkle, kind of doing what we're talking about tonight. And so I'm going to ask for a couple of volunteers here to come up and maybe battle it out. Um, and what we're going to look at tonight is something that happens in the book of Exodus, and that is the Ten Commandments. So if you think you know the Ten Commandments, I want you to come up here. We need two people. There's one. We need one other volunteer. I know we got... There we go. Andy, thank you. All right. Give him a hand. Okay, so this is how this is going to work. We got Andy, we got Kimber. Uh, what's going to happen is we're going to go back and forth, and you're just going to name one of the Ten Commandments. And if you're right, we're going to plug it up there. We're going to, you know, put it up there, and uh, we'll see if you guys can get to all ten without getting any wrong. Cool. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're going to start with Kimber, ladies first. Give us a commandment, Kimber. Um, no gods before God. And we get the chance to see if it's right here. 
Oh, oh, that was a good one. Okay. Nice work. Andy, what do we got? Number two, no graven images. What? No graven images. Oh, ooh, idols isn't working. We'll see. We'll see what works. Uh, this is uh, the King James Version. I don't need lots of doubts. There we go. No idols. Kimber, what do you got for us? There we go. We're just moving right down the list here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and assume that's good. Andy, what do you got? Okay. Sabbath. Oh, nice. That one got right up. Kimber. Honor your father and mother. I'm going to assume that's there too. Andy. Do not murder. Always a good one. Kimber. But yes, you're getting them right in order. This is amazing. Andy. Did you guys read or something before you came here? Okay. <laughs> this is awesome. Kimber. Do not bear false witness. Okay. Oh my. Oh my gosh. That was exactly right. Go ahead. Number 10. Do not covet. Oh, can we give him a hand? Great job. Uh, that was actually much more impressive than I thought. Uh,. Mostly because the other day I was sitting around and I was thinking, okay, we're going to be talking about Exodus. We're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments. Do I even know the Ten Commandments? Do I even do I even follow what the Ten Commandments are? And I kind of felt like God being like, all right, let's see if you can name the Ten Commandments. And I was like, okay, do I really live these out? And so, you know, I was like, I better be living these if we're going to be preaching on them. And so I was thinking, okay, oh, do not murder. I know that one. I haven't murdered anyone lately. And so I felt like God being like, you know, way to hold yourself to a real high standard there. Awesome. Um, I don't steal, you know, a lot. Uh, and, you know, I was like, oh, I haven't, you know, committed adultery. And, you know, then Jesus comes along in the New Testament and says, even if you think about it, that's a sin. And, well, never mind. Um, did, that doesn't really seem fair. You can't even think about it. And so, um, anyways, uh, those are the Ten Commandments. I'm glad you know that's something we're going to be talking about as we look through the book of Exodus. And tonight we're actually going to start earlier in the book, and we're not going to get to the the commandments, but we're going to look at some things that happen in uh, the book of Exodus before the Ten Commandments. And that's God calling His people to Him, calling the Israelites to Him, uh, His people. And so I want to give you a little bit of background information leading up to the point that we find ourselves in Exodus, the point we're going to talk about tonight. Okay, so actually back in Genesis, God calls Abraham. And we're going to run through this up here so you can follow along. Okay? God calls a man named Abraham. We're going to run through this pretty quickly, so try to follow along. God calls a man named Abraham, and he says, I'm going to build a great nation through you. I'm going to make a great people through you. And, uh, and so then Abraham has a son, Abraham has a son, Isaac. And Isaac has a son named Jacob. Okay, and Jacob actually has 12 sons. Uh, Jacob, there we go. Um, Jacob has 12 sons. And uh, one of those sons is named Joseph. And so Joseph, who's one of his sons, is actually sold into slavery and goes over to Egypt. And God actually uh, builds Joseph up into the second person in command in all of Egypt. Okay, so Joseph's out in Egypt and there's this famine. And while there's this famine, Joseph tells his family, you better come out with me so you can eat. And he brings them out to Egypt to come and live with him. Okay, and that's all Jacob's kids. And there's about 70 people total that come with him. When you got Joseph, his 11 brothers, all their kids, his dad, Jacob, uh, all of them go out to live in Egypt. 
And they're not a nation yet. This is the nation that's going to become Israel, but they're just a big family at this point. They haven't really become a nation themselves. And time starts to go on, and they start to grow and grow and grow. There must be something in the water. They're growing really fast. And, and after a little while, uh, Joseph dies. Okay, And a few people that are at the top of Egypt, you know, the, the head people in Egypt who know their family really well, they, they pass on as well. And all of a sudden, you have this giant family, and the new people that are in rule in Egypt don't know this family. But they see this, this nation starting to form Israel, and they think, man, we better make this whole nation our slaves. Otherwise, there's a possibility that they're going to overthrow us. They're going to have a war against us. And so they, you know, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they enslave all of Israel. And for 400 years, the nation of Israel is in slavery. That's all they know. From the very beginning, their people are, are slaves. And if you think about it, 400 years is about twice as long as our country has been a nation. Okay, and they're growing and growing and growing. And, and eventually God looks down, he sees his people and he says, hey, I'm going to get them out of this. I'm going to take them out of slavery. So God delivers his people out and he takes them, he's going to take them into the promised land. So he takes them out of Egypt and he takes them out into the desert. Okay, and while they're out in the desert for three months, um, he feeds them. He keeps them fed. He, um, he gives them light. He guides their way throughout the desert. And eventually, after a few months out there, he leads them to the base of Mount Sinai. Okay, and, and at Mount Sinai, when all the people are at the base of the mountain, is when God brings uh, Moses up to the top, and he's about to give him the Ten Commandments. And before he says any of these rules to Moses, before he gives him any instructions... The first thing he says to Moses, he said, Moses, I am the Lord, your God. I am your God. I am the God of these people that you're with. He doesn't say, I am a God or I'm the God. He says, I am your God. Implying there's a relationship there. He's built a relationship with his people. Okay, and, and, and here at Mount Sinai, he gives them some rules and he gives them some laws. But that's because they had been... They'd been a nation that had been in slavery for 400 years. They didn't have any laws. They didn't have any rules because when you're slaves, you you don't need a government. You don't need a king. You just wake up in the morning and you do what you're told. And if you don't do what you're told, you know, you're killed. That's the end. And so you do what you're told to do. You don't need a government. You You don't need any laws. So he gives them some instruction. Okay, but that's only after he has built this relationship with them. See, three months previous to this, if we kind of rewind, if we backtrack from the base of Mount Sinai, and we go back into the Israelites still in Egypt, still in slavery, God sends these plagues down on Egypt. He sends nine of them, and when he sends the tenth one, he's about to, to kill the firstborn son of everyone in Egypt, but he wants to save his people. Okay, so he starts giving some instructions to the people, and that's where we're going to pick our story up tonight. Okay, and that is going to be in Exodus chapter 12. Um, we're going to read verses 1 through 13, found in Exodus. And we're going to be looking at the Passover story here tonight and how God uh, takes care of his people and shows them that he is their God. So I'll go ahead and follow along with me. Um, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. 
You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, I and the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Okay, in case you're wondering what the name Passover comes from, this is it. And that's a lot of scripture in there. I know it's a lot of text about some details about how to cook this lamb. Okay, but what the Lord was saying through this whole thing that's so important for us. Okay, is that God says, I want to be a savior to these people. I want to save you. I don't want to be your lawgiver. I want to be your savior. I want to come right down in the middle of your greatest need and I want to rescue you. And all he says is that he wants the Israelites to trust him with this one simple act. This one act of putting blood on their door frames. Now, this wasn't, this wasn't a normal thing to do. He knew this would be kind of weird for them. But he said, I just want you to trust me with this one thing. And if you do this one thing, that's it. You're mine. Now you're my people. Now I'm going to take you out of here. Because a relationship with God is not predicated on our performance. But God was our God before we even knew what the rules were. Before the Ten Commandments were even given. Putting blood of the lamb or the goat on their doorframe was just the evidence that their confidence was in God. This one thing he asked, and now this relationship with them was sealed. God then says, here are some rules I want you to live by. Now that we're in this relationship. And that's the message of Exodus. Because the laws never establish a relationship with our Heavenly Father. If God gives you rules, it's because you're already in. It's because there's already a relationship there. Okay, you know what God knows that we should all know? is that rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Okay, that's kind of how it works. If anyone tries to give you rules, you don't have any sort of relationship with them, why do you want to follow the rules? That's how we became a nation. Okay, as England said here, you know, taxation without representation is what we called it. You gave us a bunch of rules. We didn't think we had any sort of relationship there. We rebelled and became our own country. It's, it's why it's tough for foster kids, sometimes at age 8, 9, 10, to um, live with a new foster parents new foster home is because they have to set rules but there's no relationship that's been established so there's a lot of rebellion that takes place there even in the workplace a lot of times you get a new boss and uh you know he's got to give some rules to all his workers and uh you don't have a relationship with your boss already and so rebellion sets in sometimes you can do crazy things because of it and i actually want to show a video clip of what can possibly happen in the workspace um when when rules are given and there's not a relationship that's already been formed there. Um, for those of you who don't know what's going on here is that 
with, with Dwight's, oh, I love you, Dwight. Um, with Dwight's new boss, there's not a relationship for him there, so he starts, he starts rebelling when he's given these rules. I think it paints the biblical scene perfectly here. Um, it's human nature, though, to resist rules if we have no relationship. It's why so many of us have been turned off by the church or by God, because our whole experience for managing and dealing with this whole God thing has been, here are a bunch of rules, do the best you can, and if you do good enough, maybe I'll accept you. And who wants a relationship with a God like that anyway? Okay, 3,000 years ago, God stood on a mountain with the leader of his people. And he said, now are we clear on this? You are my people. Because you trusted me and you followed me. You're mine. I'm yours. And these rules I'm giving you, these commandments, are not a condition of the relationship we have. It's a confirmation of the relationship that's already there. That these commandments are not a a condition of my love for you. They're a confirmation of the love that's already there. These rules are not a a condition of of your acceptance. But a confirmation of the acceptance that I've already given you. Because rules, because relationships, sorry, always precedes rules with God. And the first lesson he gives is he says, will you trust me? Will we trust God? And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next 10 weeks here as we look at this book of Exodus this summer. Um, Can we trust God? Why we should put our trust in God that he knows what's best for us. And why we have a God that's not just sitting there creating all these rules for us to follow and see if we can't do good enough to get into heaven. But that we have a Savior who loves us so much and wants a relationship with us more than anything. That's what he desires is this relationship with us. Okay, you'll rarely meet a Christian who's had a major lifestyle change because of guilt. But you'll meet a lot of people who have had their own miniature exodus, their own exit out of addictions that have held them, the hard times they've been through. Life gets messy sometimes. Okay, we go through a lot of difficult times in life. But no one in accepting the love and grace of Jesus Christ leads us to start desiring something more. Okay, I came into college, like I said, this was a, it was a whirlwind for me. I got caught in a storm of, of, of messing around and, and doing a lot of things that uh, I really um, didn't, didn't really feel I, I wanted to do. And, and not only did my grades start to slip in college, but, but my character and who I wanted to be started to slip as well. And in the winter of 2003, okay, the love of a God who reached out to me started to change my life. As God said, I don't care what you're going through right now. I want you to come follow me. I'm going to lead you out of what you're going through the same way that we all have this opportunity to let the love of Christ lead us out of whatever it is that we're going through. Have our own exit, our own exodus, okay, from the things that are gripping our lives. And I've changed my own life, not out of guilt, okay, not not, um, because of the rules, but out of the gratitude of what God has done for me when I've done nothing for myself. That is not guilt that made me want to change my life. It's gratitude for the fact that a God of grace and mercy did not make these rules a condition of the relationship with me, but a confirmation of the relationship that we already had. When he brought me out of Egypt, the Egypt of of all kinds of chaos and, and debauchery in my own life. And I will tell you, I'm a follower of Jesus myself, not because I love following rules, because I don't. But because when God says to me, I want to be the Lord, your God, I said, absolutely, absolutely. In light of everything you've done for me. Who here is a pet owner? Anyone own a pet? 
Dog, cat, ferret, guinea pig. Um, dogs, I know, become kind of like children a lot of times to us. We have a couple people in our office. Uh, they're actually both sitting back there, both own dogs, both bring them into the office. Nolan's tiny dog, Reggie, pees all over the place. Um, <laughs> Becky's dog, Kitsu, looks like it's going to eat Nolan's dog sometimes. But uh, when you get a dog, okay, you get a dog, you bring him home, you put him in that fence in your backyard. Okay, whose dog do you put in your fence? Okay, you put your own dog in your fence. That's good. Way to go. Uh, you can get your candy bar afterward. Um, and what happens when that dog gets out of that fence? That dog gets out of that fence, that dog runs away. That no longer is your dog. Now it's someone else's dog. Okay, he gets into someone's yard. It's not your dog anymore. You know, neighbor calls you up. I got your dog down here. That's not my dog. You know, my dog's in my yard. It's got your phone number on it. That's not my dog. You know, if he was my dog, he'd be in my yard. No, ownership doesn't come from the dog being in our own yard. Okay, that doesn't decide whether that dog belongs to us or not. Okay, but ownership starts when we purchase that dog. I grew up when I was nine years old. uh, We bought a family dog, a basset hound. His name was Diesel. Uh, It was a great name because he had horrible gas. And... (laughs) Uh, we can put that picture of him up there. He, uh, God rest in peace. He died a couple years ago. But he was a great family dog. Uh, we loved him. Um, he was a lot of fun, but, oh, there he is. Oh, Diesel, my only friend. Um, but Diesel wasn't the brightest dog. He, he never, his whole life, 12, 13 years, never learned to sit down, to you know, um, to roll over, to do any of those tricks that you would think a dog can do. He really only ever knew two things that I give him credit for. One was that he could always tell when my dad got home because he was on the couch and he wasn't allowed to be. When my dad got home, he jumped down immediately. But when anyone else would come through the door, even on the other side of the house, he'd just lay there. But if my dad came through the front door, he knew it and he would jump down right away. It was I don't know how he knew that. He wasn't that bright of a dog. And the other thing is that we owned him for about four years and then we moved into a different house also in Bellingham, about three miles from our previous house. And whenever we weren't home or we would leave for a little while, if he got out of the yard, he would run the three miles back to our old house. And we would get a call from our neighbor saying, hey, your dog is here. We'd be like, how does he know even how to get back to the old house or think that we would be back there? But that's where he'd go to find us. And I'll give him credit. He knew a little bit of how to get back there. But but him being in that yard, him staying there wasn't what made him our dog. He became... My dog when I purchased him. And we became gods the day that he purchased us. When he sent his son to die on a cross for all of our sins. And God gives us rules and laws and commandments because he loves us. Not for us to prove something to him. When Jesus died on a cross for our sins, he died for all of our sins, which meant he assumed you would be a sinner. And he didn't die for us because he expected you to get it all right. He died because he knew we would get it all wrong. God says, he says to us, he goes, I want you to be mine. And I want to be your God and I want to be your personal savior. But I just need you to do this one thing for me. This one thing like the nation of Israel did 3,000 years ago. And I don't need you to put blood on your doorways and walk through it. I just need you to have faith in the blood of my son who came to die for all your sins. That's it. If you'll do this one thing, if you'll have faith, that's it. You're in. I don't care how far away you run. I don't care if you run the three miles back to your old house. 
I don't care if you get out of the fence, you're still mine. And the message of the Old and the New Testament is that God has invited us into a relationship of unconditional love with Him based on nothing that we do but on what He has done for us. And just as He delivered the nation of Israel with the blood of a lamb and a goat, He's delivered all of us with the blood of His Son. That's the message of Exodus. That's what we're going to be looking at the next few weeks. Thanks for coming out. Let me pray for us. Um, Lord, thank you that you you do, God. Um, give us our own exodus, God. You you lead us out of of what we go through in life, God. I just thank you that, um, Lord, no matter how far that that I've ran from you, God, that that you continue um, just to come seek after me, God. I thank you that these these rules you give us, these commandments you give us, God, do not decide whether you love us or not, Lord but they're just confirmation of the love that you already have for us. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.